Amen. I love that. So that's what I'm saying. Whatever your need is, let's turn to prayer first <laughs> and not as a last resort. Not to, let's do all this and then let's go to prayer. But let's be a people who, who jumps on their knees at the first sign of something coming up and gets the, gets the petition the Lord that God would move on our behalf. Because my word says his eye is even on the sparrow. His eyes even on a toothache. I mean, come on. Let's not, let's not put God in a box. Amen. Well, that we're not. Don't get me started. We'll we'll go preaching there. But uh, we are in Acts chapter two today. That's where we're focused at. Acts chapter two. Uh, getting back on task. So Acts chapter two. Acts in Acts, the book of Acts. What we've seen so far, we've seen the birth of the church. Really, we've seen how the church started, and that's one of the things that have puzzled historians for years. It's puzzled historians for years of how Christianity spread so fast in the early days. I mean, just look at the group Jesus left behind. It was a small group, right? They weren't very influential people. They were fishermen, carpentermen, tax collectors. I mean, they were like the nobodies of nobody. And Christianity didn't advance through conquest, right? I mean, there wasn't a, for the first 400 years, no one really picked up a sword in defense of it. And we understand it, it, you understand, Christianity does not make its followers rich. Usually led to the first, first century church, usually led to them losing their homes, losing their fortune, many times losing their lives. In fact, it produces communities like anything, unlike anything the world ever seen before, peaceable communities, right? And, and communities that, that, that uh, refuse to fight, they were praying for forgiveness for their captors. They were going joyfully to their execution. This was a community that this Christian, this church was producing in the first century. They welcomed the outcasts. They actually had the first multiracial communities on the planet. Come on. Can I get on my soapbox real quick on that one? I haven't said a lot about, we have a lot of racial tension going on in the world today, the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Before you get on that soapbox, do your research. Do your research. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to get into it. But all I'm going to say, too, is if we're doing Christianity right, this is not an issue for us. It's a non-starter. Come on. Guess who, if you do the research on just Assemblies of God... Assemblies of God started off at a revival that happened in Azusa Street, okay? You want to know who preached that revival, who started that revival? William Seymour, an African-American man. Come on. If we're doing Christianity right, if we're loving people like we're called to love people, it's not an issue. Now, I'm not naive enough, and Barna put research, put out a study, said four out of five people identify as Christians. Come on, we know that's not true. Just look at our culture today. All the racial tension there is. Come on. Something's not working right. But if we're doing what we're called to do, loving God, and then loving people like God called us to love, like the first century church, it's not an issue. That's all I'm going to say on that. And so the, the, this whole idea of this, the first church blowing up like it did, this professor at Yale, he had this to say about this study. There were historians studying why the church blew up, what happened. And this professor at Yale, he said this. He said, the more one examines the various factors which seem to account for the extraordinary victory of Christianity, the more one is driven to search for a cause underlying them all. 
it is clear that at the very beginning of Christianity, there must have occurred a vast release of energy virtually unequaled in history. Come on. We know what he's talking about, right? A vast release of energy virtually unequaled in history. Nothing else could explain the surge of the early Christian movements. What caused this release of energy lies outside the realm in which modern historians are supposed to move. But then he goes on and he says this. He says, but before I am a historian, I am a human. How can I close my eyes to the obvious explanation that something supernatural happened? That's your answer. How the church grew? Supernaturally. How are we going to grow today? Supernaturally through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we've been looking at Peter's sermon and I'm just going to uh, confess to this morning, I will probably call Peter Paul at some point in this sermon. Understand I'm talking about Peter, okay? I'm just getting my P's mixed up. We're talking about Peter's sermon, right? And, and let me just review, catch us up to where we're at. So the apostles, this band of brothers, were together. Uh, Jesus was died, crucified on the cross, rose again, and then he spent some time with the disciples. Scripture says he kind of explained his scripture to them and just talking to them, an amazing time, fellowship. And then he gives them this command, and this command applies to you and I. He gives us a command that, hey, now you're going to be my witness. Remember, we love that word witnesses, because this movement, this acts the movement, it started with a bunch of witnesses. You and I are called to be witnesses. We're not called to be judge, jury, executioner. We're called to be witnesses. What has God done in your life? Tell somebody what God has done in your life. That's as simple as it is. I can do that, okay? You can do that, right? And so God gave him this assignment to be witnesses, but then he says, hang on. You imagine the disciples at that moment, imagine Pete telling Peter to wait. I mean, come on, I can relate to Peter. I'm not the most patient person in the world. But telling him to wait had to be frustrating. Like, I'm ready to go, right? He said, no, no, hang on, you got to wait until you have power, right? That dunamis power. And remember, we talked about this last, last time, that dunamis power and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that power but it's not about what happens in here, that the speaking in tongues, the goosebumps, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's that power to be witnesses, that power to be bold in our witness. That's what the Holy Spirit is about, right? And so he, they're waiting for this. And then we see what happens, right? Amazing thing. And you see, okay, Pentecost, the Feast of Harvest is what it means, right? And this, this is exciting because this is what Holy Spirit means, the harvest, and we see that. So they're waiting. They're praying in the upper room. And remember what happens? The wind comes. Sounds like a tornado, like a train. And then fire comes down from heaven and flames on top of their heads. You know, right? All that was for a reason. It wasn't just so they could have church right there. But what? But all these people outside. Remember the, the Jewish Feast of the Harvest required all the Jewish men to be there. So you got Jewish men from all over the countryside coming there. They hear this, they see this, and it draws them in. That's the power of the harvest. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Draws them in. What's going on? So all these inquiring minds go see what's happening. What's happening is these fishermen are speaking in tongues. And these tongues happen to be the different languages represented of the people who gathered. And they're like, how is this happening? How are these, how are these common folk? Speaking my language. It'd be like, everybody knows Duck Dynasty, right? The, 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 it'd be like them, right? Hillbillies, right? It'd be like them speaking perfect Mandarin. They're like, how does that happen? You know, these are just hillbillies. How are they talking my language? That's what they're saying, right? And so they wonder what has, draws them in, right? In verse 40, it says, 
And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generations. Then I want to turn back to verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? I love the wording there. It says they were cut to the heart, talking about some deep conviction, right? It's like the light bulb went off for them. It cut their heart. It's like to have a sense of personal involvement in what has been said. And then you get this awareness of tremendous impact of the fact what's been revealed. Basically, they were cut their heart because their eyes were opened up. Think about it. Their eyes were opened up and they began to realize that life was not what it appeared to be. There's more to life. There's more than every day. There was the power of God. And they're starting to realize this. And this God that they now understood was none other than the same one they nailed to the cross. That's what they're, they're cut to the heart. The light bulb went off. They see what happened. They're like, oh my goodness. Can you imagine? what? Put yourself in their shoes for a second. You realize all this was true. And you nailed the Son of God to the cross. You know what that'd be like? That'd be like some of you in here sitting. You come to church, come to church. You're a church goer, church carny maybe. And you hear the gospel presentation, you hear the gospel presentation, you hear the gospel presentation. And then one day you're going to be standing in heaven. And you've got to account for everything you've heard, but you didn't accept. And then you're going to have a light bulb moment and say, wow, they were right. I don't want to be in their shoes. That's what was happening to these guys right here. They were like, oh my goodness. Everything they talked about is real. That's why I say they were cut to the heart. I mean, it was, it was a sobering moment for them. And so they're like, what shall we do? What shall we do? So they were cut to the heart, literally like a knife to the chest. But this is what Jesus promised back in John 16, 8, that when the Spirit came, he would what? Convict the world of sin. Convict, that word convict there in the Greek is el elionkol, and it means cross-examine. It's basically to press you with evidence. That's what the Spirit of God does. It's like, think of a lawyer in the sense of a lawyer, and that's what Peter does. He's going to answer these questions, and Peter tells them how to be a Christian. So now they're aware of the fact that their lives are out of harmony with the life of the one who rules, and what do we do? So he gives us a very clear passage. If you're ever witnessing to someone, this would be a great place to show them. This is what you have to do. This is where we start. Acts 2, verses 38 to 41. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I love this one. For the promise is for you. Come on, that me, for you, for us today. It's for us, it's for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Unbelievable. You see the power of the Holy Spirit here. 
This morning, I just want to break it down and give you the ABC of salvation. Some of you are going to sit there this morning and say, Pastor, this is so basic. Come on. You need basic. Either you need basic or you need to be able to explain basic to somebody. And so that's what we're doing today, okay? So before does Peter start? What shall we do? So he acknowledges there's something you need to do. When you come to the place where you understand that Jesus is Lord and you're out of harmony, there's something to do. There's actually, there's two things you need to do, and there's one thing that the Lord does, and we're going to look at this this morning. First thing, to repent. To repent, and, and that's one of the most misunderstood words there is. Come on, if you've been in Christianity long, you've been around the church, most people think repentance means you feel sorry, you begin to cry, and you weep, and that's Repentance. So every week we have repentance because we're sorry, we weep, or we cry, right? But that has nothing to do with repentance. I mean, you do feel sorry, granted, you feel sorry. You may begin to weep and cry because of what you've done. But that's not necessary. It doesn't mean you've repented. Because the word repent actually means to change your mind, to change your thinking. Because we repent so many times for that one thing that hangs us up. We repent. But you don't change your mind. You keep doing it over and over and over. That's not repentance. Repentance means to change your mind. In the Greek, it means exactly that, change your mind. We get our English word from the Latin word of this, and it means to think. But it means to rethink. So it means, so you say think again. Think again. You've been thinking about everything was all right with you. Well, think again what Peter's saying. Think again, repent, change your mind, get in tune with the reality of the way things really are, is what Peter's saying. You've been kidding yourself. You've been fooled, you need to change your mind. So this is the first thing, repent. Coming to Christ means recognizing that he's Lord, and you've been living a rebellion against him. I love the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He puts it this way. We don't come to God as bad people trying to become good people. We come as rebels to lay down our arms. That's what it is. It's not about becoming a better person. It's not about becoming more religious. It's about recognizing the lordship of Christ, that he's in charge, and you're, you're, you're surrendering to him. That's what it's about. And that's either something you've done or you haven't done. Come on. There's a lot of people in church today that haven't done this. They come to church, they sit in church, they listen to sermons, they worship, but they haven't done this. You either recognize Lord and surrendered, or you haven't. You receive his offering of salvation, or you haven't. That doesn't mean we suddenly become the perfect person. No, it doesn't. We still struggle in areas of inconsistency. But we know that the Lord is in charge, and we are not. Come on. We are not. I think we need to look in the mirror and repeat that phrase to yourself. We are not in charge. The Lord is in charge. We have a culture, though, of a lot of people who have grown up in church or around church. And they've never crossed that line. They never admitted their need for a Lord. Their need for a Savior. Maybe you see Jesus as your Savior, but not Lord. And then you start recognizing there's some inconsistencies in your life. Like you're not actively a disciple. Maybe you're not actively a part of a church. Or maybe you compare yourselves to others at times and think, well, I'm good enough. You know, I'm good enough as long as God grades on a curve. I'm good enough. But that's not the issue. The issue is whether you surrender to Christ personally and receive him as your Savior. Some of you this morning are like, well, Pastor, I grew up in church. I hear that a lot. 
I grew up in church. Of course I'm a Christian. I mean, what else would I be? I'm not a Muslim. I'm not a Jew. I'm not an atheist. What else would I be? Well, have you chosen Christ personally for yourself? Not your spouse chose it for you. Not mama chose it for me. Not grandma chose it for me. Have you chosen Christ for yourself? Have you admitted, I need a Lord. I need a Savior. Have you crossed that line? Because I'm telling you, one day, we are going to step into glory, and we've got to be accountable. One day, you're going to stand there, and I don't want to be too late where you're standing there, oh, this is what they're talking about. Because then it's too late. I guarantee you, there's a lot of people that attend church that have not crossed that line. Not ask the Lord to be the Savior of their life. I don't want none of you to be in that position this morning. So Peter starts with repent. Repent. Cross that line. And then he goes straight into baptism. Water baptism. Now I need you to understand this morning that water baptism doesn't add anything to your repentance. It doesn't make you better. It doesn't do anything magically for your sin that suddenly is gone. The baptism, water baptism doesn't save you, but it always follows salvation. This is scripturally, right? So let me show you a couple reasons in, in scripture why this is true. Acts twenty two sixteen, the last part of 16 says, Rise and be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. Calling on his name is the action part in that verse that saves you, not the water baptism. Acts two thirty eight, repent and be baptized, every one of you. How? In the name of Jesus. That's what saves you. Uh, Acts 2.38. Oh, that was that one. Sorry. Mark 6.16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. What's the key deal there? Whoever believes, right? And then Romans 10, 9-10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you repent and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not the water baptism. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8-9, for by grace you've been saved. Uh, Acts 3, 19, repent therefore, turn back that your sins may be blotted out. So I just want to show you real quickly as we run through this water baptism idea. It doesn't save you. Faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you. True repentance and faith are the conditions for receiving forgiveness. But baptism is an outward declaration. It's a symbol of the changed mind you've experienced. Baptism is saying, I identify with Christ. To be baptized means you standing up to the world and say, I belong to him. I follow him. I'm, I'm, I'm with him. This was really important for the Jewish people because in Jewish culture, Gentiles who wanted to become Jews would have to go through this process. And so they understood what baptism meant. They literally bathed them, sunk them in water, and they would rise up and they say, now this is a symbol of a new life. You're starting over again. That's what it means for you and I. This is a symbol of a new life. We're starting over again. That's what it meant to John the Baptist. Indication of a new beginning, right? And, and that's what we see here in Acts. It's the indication of a new beginning. And so the question then arises, when should you be baptized? Right after you're saved. Let's go. As soon as you're saved, let's get you baptized. Let's get you in the tank. Let's dunk you. If you haven't been baptized, I want to challenge you. We need to get you baptized. If you've given your heart, if you recognize, if you repented, if you recognize the Lord as your Savior, you need to be baptized. Why, Pastor? Because it's about walking in obedience according to the Word of God. That's what it is. 
This is, this is Paul's laying out some structure here. Repent, be baptized. And we want to walk in obedience of that. Here's a couple verses that speak to that. Acts 2.38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then Matthew 28.19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. And do what? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we identify with the Savior in the water baptism. So Peter's steps. One, repent. Two, be baptized. If you have not been baptized, see one of the pastors here. We'll get it scheduled. We'll get you going. We'll make sure you, you fulfill and walk in obedience according to Scripture. And then thirdly, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 38 and 39 of Acts chapter 2, And Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the next part is so important for you and I. Because many people will say, well, the Holy Spirit, that's not in the gifts, the miracles, all that, the, the visions, the prophecies, that's really not for today. That was just for the first century church. How do you explain this next part? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you, for your children, and all who are far off. Come on. I'm not a theologian, but I, I believe that speaks to us. That promise is for me. And we've seen in Scripture how when the Scripture there's a promise and you see fulfillment. It's a pattern God has. He makes a promise. He's not breaking that promise, is he? And so that promise is for you. That promise is for me that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I know since we started Acts chapter 2, some of you have been praying for that. Some of you have been seeking for the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know that God's going to honor those promises. God's going to honor those prayers because he doesn't go back on his word. Just keep praying. Keep seeking. We, we are believing that God's going to fill you. Can I just remind you, we've seen over the last few weeks, time and time again, where there's a promise, and he keeps that promise. He told the disciples, wait, wait. I promise you this. It came. He's telling you this morning, there's a promise. He's going to fulfill that promise. Promises for you, promises for your kids, your grandkids, a promise of power. And remember what this power is about. It's power for the harvest. Tongues for the harvest. Boldness for the harvest. And you know, last week I mentioned that you know when, when, when you give your heart to Christ, let's review, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And at that moment, that's for you. That's for your sake. But then there's a baptism in the Holy Spirit. And when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's for everybody else. That's to give you the boldness to stand up and proclaim who God is to those around you. You say, well, that's not me. Wait till the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. That's going to be you. You know, just think of it like this way. I want to call the worship team coming up. Give you guys some hope here. So we're, we're talking about the harvest, okay? Let's run with this harvest metaphor. Say a farmer plants some seeds, and he goes out to harvest a crop. Say he plants, let's, let's say he plants 10,000 acres of soybeans. We know we got some soybean farmers in here. He plants 10,000 acres of soybeans, and he wakes up, they're ready to be picked. He wakes up one morning, he walks out there, and he starts picking them. How far do you think he's going to get in a day? Picking them by hand. Like, I'd be impressed if he made an acre, but, you know, I don't know. 
That's you and me without the Holy Spirit. There's this vast harvest out there. Let me show our harvest. So we put a circle around Brighton Assembly, a 20-minute 20 20 circle radius around Brighton Assembly. And Barner Research did some, some studies, and they found out that, had some calculations. We put all the math in, and it comes out to 11,578 people who are unreached in that 20-minute 20, 20 circle of Brighton. 11,578. How many are we going to reach under our own power? Maybe a handful. I guarantee you we're not getting nowhere close to 11,578. But then look what's happened. So it's that same farmer, 10,000 acres of soybeans. He hops in the biggest, baddest combine there is, goes out there. He could probably do 100 acres in one day. Come on. That's the power. That's the power of the harvest. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, fills you, baptizes you, that's the power we need to do, we need for the job he assigned to us. Matthew, let me review, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I, will, I am with you always. And it, that's your assignment. That's my assignment. We are called to go make disciples. I don't know about you, but I need help in doing that. But what that says to me, that God wants to use you. God wants to use me. He wants to use you at your work. He wants to use you at your neighborhood. He wants to use you at the grocery store to make disciples. The power and boldness to share Come on, I'm an introvert. I know those others that like me, introverts. We don't like to talk to people. But when the power of the Holy Spirit gets inside of you, it does something to you. Let me story, tell you a story about Jack Hayford wrote a book, The Beauty of Spiritual Language. It's a, it's a good book. You should read it if you ever get a chance. But he was on this flight going to preach somewhere, and he's on this flight. He said next to this man, they start talking like you do, you know, and they start talking and the man starts sharing about his background. He's got some Native American in him. And Jack's like, whoa, do you speak the language? He goes, oh, just a little bit, you know. And, and he just continues to talk to this guy. And he thinks, okay, I'm going to witness this guy. As soon as he had that thought, I'm going to witness this guy, he felt the Lord say to him, speak in tongues to him. Come on, what would you do? <laughs> I'm like, that was the burrito I had before I got on the fly. That was not God, right? Are you, are you, I'm not speaking in tongues this little bitty capsule. Are you kidding me? And so he didn't, but he continued to share the Lord with this gentleman, and finally this guy just kind of cut him off, said, you know what, I, I appreciate what you're doing, but I just don't, not interested, don't believe, and, you know, and so the flight went on, the Lord kept dealing with Jack, and kept dealing with him, kept dealing with him, so finally he's like, okay, you know, God always wins, if we figured that out sooner, we'd be a lot better shape, and so finally he said, okay, God. And so he looks over this guy, and he's like, hey, you, know, you said you, you, know, you spoke the language a little bit. And I, you know, there's something that I, I just want to see if you know what it means. I've heard it. So he starts speaking in tongues to this guy. He gets done. This guy starts tearing up. He goes, I didn't catch all of it, but I know the base of what it means. He told me that God loves me in my language. Come on. That's boldness I don't have. But when you and I are filled with God's Spirit to overflowing, 
That's what happens. That's the power for the harvest. That's the purpose behind tongues. That's the purpose behind seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not for us. It's so you can reach those around you. Because God has a purpose for us. God has a mission for us. Come on, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the boldness. We need this promise. And this promise is for you and I. Some of you sitting here today like, well, Pastor, maybe, you know, maybe it's not, not for me. Maybe I, I've gone too far. And I just, you know, I, I, yeah, maybe Jesus loves me. He forgave me. But I think the baptism of the Holy Spirit is out of reach for me because I've tried, I've prayed for it, and nothing ever happens. I want to challenge you. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Let faith rise up in you. God knows where you're at. God knows who you are. God loves you. And if we turn back to him and walk in obedience according to his word, come on, there's more for you. He's not done with you yet. I want to challenge you with Peter's steps today. Remember, it starts with repentance. And we walk in, walk in obedience with water baptism. Then we seek the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. I want you to be honest with yourself this morning. Have you asked him to be Lord of your life? Have you bowed your knee and committed to him that he's in charge and you're not? I don't ever want to take for granted that everyone's a-okay just because you come to church, because that is not the case. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Have you confessed your need for your Savior this morning? We're going to have an altar call here in a second. We're going to have a worship team lead us. We're going to have an altar call. The altar call is going to be in two parts. If you haven't confessed your need for a Lord, I want to invite you to come down, bow a knee, and confess that you need him this morning. Please, please, don't let it pass you by. When you have a chance, grab that. Secondly, I want to invite those down. You're seeking the Holy Spirit. You want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I want you to come down. I want you to come down. You can stand and worship. You can, you can bow your knee. You can pray, whatever, however is comfortable for you. Don't stop. God made you a promise. And he does not go back on his word. God promised you you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, Pastor, I prayed for a whole 20 minutes and I wasn't filled. Come on. Let's keep praying. Let's keep seeking. I know people who've been praying since they were 21 years old. They're in their 70s now. They're still praying because God made them a promise. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Why? Because you have a job to do. You have an assignment to reach those around you. It's your responsibility. I know I can't do it on my own power. I'm just a knucklehead. But when I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, come on, there's boldness that rises up. I'll just talk to anybody. Because I know the Holy, it's the Holy Spirit's words. It's not my words. That's a beautiful... I'm rambling, but that's a beautiful thing. Come on. Some of you are like, well, I don't know enough scripture. I don't know this. I don't. When you feel the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You'll be rambling stuff off. You're like, I didn't even know that. How did I remember that? Come on. Let the Holy Spirit work through you. So this morning, that's it. I'm going to let the worship team come on down.
you need to confess that he's Lord of your life, come down. No judgment. We're just going to be praying with you. You want to seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Come down. Bow your knee. And I'm praying the Lord surprises you. Maybe he surprised you this morning. How amazing. He surprised you tonight in the Super Bowl game. Halftime. You're speaking in tongues. Come on. It can happen that way. It can happen on your commute to work. Don't put God in a box. It can happen in your commute to work. It can happen when you're out in the tractor. It can happen anywhere. God can feel the Holy Spirit. I'm praying God surprises somebody today. Would you join us in prayer? Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence.
remembering, Lord Jesus, of our cause, Lord, what you've set us out to do. God, I pray, Lord, our faith would be big as we leave this place this morning. Jesus, that we would be full of your Holy Spirit. God, that we would take your presence with us. God, that it would spill over to those around us, Lord Jesus, that we would be a light, a witness, oh God, for those around us, that they would be drawn to you as well, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that as we move into this week, God, you would just continue to go before us. God, to walk with us, Lord Jesus, that your faithfulness, God, would be so strong, Lord, in our hearts and our lives, God, that we could not deny the hand of the Lord has been upon us and has been with us, Lord Jesus. God, empower us to be your servants. Empower us to witness and to shine for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I pray that as you go forward, that you find someone to share what you have heard about with this week, that the Lord would use you to bring others to him. Have a good week.